Okay, James chapter 1. <clears throat> Tim Keller in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, he says that the heart of why people disbelieve and believe in God, of why people decline and grow in character, of how God becomes less real and more real to us. At the heart between these distinctions, he says, is suffering. It's kind of the hinge on which these things fall, one side or the other. People believe or don't believe, and the midpoint is suffering, how they respond to suffering, how they walk through suffering. <coughs> Several years ago, it might be 10 years ago, I was going through a, a time where I was listening to a lot of debates there's a lot of audio debates you can listen to online between uh, Christians and either atheists or people who uh, claim to be Christians, but they had watered down the doctrinal core of our faith to such a degree that it really wasn't Christianity any longer. And so many of the debates were just shoring up my faith with even more just intellectual uh, grounding. And, and a lot of them were just clearly the Christian pr uh, perspective is ob you know, obviously the right one, not just because I believe it, because it just makes sense. You know, the historicity of the physical bodily resur resurrection of Jesus. The Bible actually records what most likely happened. Like the best evidence is what the Bible says happened. And the uh, authenticity and the veracity of the scriptures that what we hold today is actually what God inspired men to write thousands of years ago. And it's been preserved and translated and kept. And so we can have great confidence that when we read the Bible, we're reading what God intended for us to have. Some, it's a miracle of translation and, and preservation. But the hardest question for Christians to give an answer to in these kinds of debates was always the issue of pain and suffering in the world. There's an answer, but a lot of times we just don't like it. That's true today, and it was true when James wrote James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, which is where we'll be. Consider it great... Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and, the, and let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. As we begin this walk through the book of James, uh, where we'll be the rest of this year, he spent one verse doing the basic intro of a letter that's typical in the New Testament, and then bam... We're hit square in the face with this reality of the trials of life. And there is a way to walk through the trials of life that demonstrate joy and the presence of Jesus alive inside of us. In fact, it's only possible because Jesus is alive inside of us that we can walk through trials with any kind of joy. But as we'll see throughout the book of James, it's, it's not hard to understand the case that he's making. Like intellectually, I get what he's saying. The hard thing about the book of James is actually doing it. Now we have to do this. How do we actually experience this and live this out? Can we actually respond to trials in such a way that show Jesus alive inside of us? Well, the first thing we see is the reality of trials, the reality of trials. He says in verse 2, whenever you experience various trials, not if you will, but when you will. Because you will. And these are not temptations from within. That's going to be addressed later in chapter 1. These aren't tests of your faith that you should seek out, like rites of passage. 
These are hard times that you will experience that you can't predict because you are a human being on a place called earth. You will meet them because they're already around the corner. The old saying, you're, you know, you're in the storm, you're coming out of the storm, or you're headed into a storm. It's true. 1 Peter 4.12, uh, the Peter writes, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you, as if something unusual were happening to you. shouldn't be a shocker. It's just when. What's it going to look like? What's next? It's coming. For those of you who are so young, you're like, really? Are you sure? I promise. It's coming. It's going to happen. This ultimately goes back to the curse of sin infecting all of creation. Trials and tribulations were not part of the original creation. And they will not be part of the eternal state. This is for the in-between now. And despite what the wealthy TV preacher says, you can't faith or believe your way out of this. You can't sow a financial seed into their ministry. It helps them get out of trials. But it doesn't help you get out of trials or live in some spiritual state so that you won't go through trials. Jesus said in Matthew 5.45, For God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. James does not name the trials. We'll see some referred to as we go through the book of James. He just says various. It can literally be anything. Sickness, poverty, relational conflict, persecution, tragedy, really anything that causes our faith to be tested, that causes uh, us to be threatened to lose perspective in God's goodness and sovereignty and could cause us to lose our joy in Him. It literally can be anything. It's different for everyone. And what is a trial for this person, someone else can't relate at all. They've never experienced anything close to that, and it's hard for them to even understand how that could be a trial for th- you but it is because it's it's your shoes it's your life it's your path it's your journey it's one of the worst things we do as christians is we start comparing our trials and kind of looking down on people in their trials like well i went through that something like that that's not that hard it's no big deal incredibly unsympathetic and and the lacking of compassion because the worst thing that a person is walking through from their perspective Maybe nothing compared to what you're walking through, but for them, it is everything. We're not protected from trials because we believe in Jesus. We don't live in a protective bubble or shell. I grew up not being taught that, but assuming that. So I don't want you to assume that at all. Hard times, difficult times, times that will rock you to the core of your being are coming in life. You're not protected from that because you're a Christian. You don't get a special pass through life or a a different path than other people. We don't get spiritual superpowers to make trials go away. We also don't see Scripture blaming trials on the devil or evil as though God is not sovereign. The book uh, on suffering, Job, happened because God gave Satan permission to make Job suffer. Satan asked permission of Jesus to make Peter suffer and deny Christ. And Jesus says in Luke 22, Satan's asked permission to sift you as wheat, and I've given him permission. All of our suffering, all of the trials, first pass through the hands of our Father in heaven and are ordained by him. And so you see throughout James this absolute confidence in the sovereignty of God in all of life. We're not simply caught up in the whims of the enemy. The devil's not just 
having his way with us apart from our Father's permission. And I know for some that only complicates trials. So then why would our good Father operate in our lives in that way? Well, we'll, we'll get to that. And I know that that's not an easy answer for the evil and suffering in the world, especially when they happen to children or who we would call the innocent. Just random acts of tragedy that happen. Like there's, there's a much bigger answer to all of that. But specifically for believers, this is speaking to why you go through trials and how we can uh, walk through trials in a way that it, we experience and we demonstrate the presence of Jesus. The work God intends for us right now until he returns is not to make us exempt from trials, but to help us respond to trials in a way that show the presence of God alive in us. If you want to dig deeper into the, the reasons behind evil and suffering in the world, like we walked through the book of Job over about four or five weeks in 2019. You can go back and, and listen to that series. So that's the reality of trials, the response to trials. And that's what he, he starts this section off with. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Now, the joy he's talking about here is it's not pleasure. It's not describing the trial. The trial is not joyful or joy-giving. So this is not a call to be giddy and laugh and frolic when hard times come. Yay, I have cancer. I was hoping... I would have cancer one day or something silly. Oh, look how super spiritual you are. You're not even sad about the suffering you're enduring. Now that, that doesn't make you look super spiritual. It makes you look weird, like an alien, like you're, you're not human. One author defined this joy as an unnatural reaction of deep, steady, and unadulterated, thankful trust in God. An unnatural, so it's supernatural from God. Reaction of deep, steady, and unadulterated, thankful trust in God. This joy James is describing is, is not even an emotional response as much as it's a mental response of the mind. He says, consider it. Think about it. Think about the trials you face in such a way that your response can lead to joy. In the language of the New Testament, it's not even describing this response of joy that is exclusive, but it's intense. He says, uh, consider it a great joy. In other words, what he's saying is, it's not all you'll feel is joy, but the joy you feel is great joy. It's an intense joy. Not exclusive to all other emotions, so that all you feel is joy, but the joy you feel is great. So when trials hit and the emotions hit that are normal because we're human, of sadness or fear, lamenting or sorrow, concern, it's okay to feel those. When Jesus showed up to resurrect his friend Lazarus, he didn't immediately resurrect him. He first wept, even though he knew what he was going to do. He already told the disciples, I'm taking care of this. When Job's three friends showed up and sat in silence for seven days and mourned with him before opening their mouth and making it worse, they were loving him in his sorrow. There is 100% a place for simple weeping. You don't have to say anything profound when you 
arrive to the scene of someone suffering or hurting. They don't need a sermon. You can simply express uh, identification, validation to their emotions. I, I am so sorry. I am so sorry that you are going. I, I love you. I feel for you. I'm sorry you're suffering in this way. I hate that this has happened. What can I do to help? Hurting for you, weeping with you. But <clears throat> it's not where you only stay. Trials also provide an opportunity for great joy, not just sorrow. In fact, James is, is showing us that when we experience this great joy, it is evidence of faith that is alive in us. It is human to weep at hard times. It is supernatural, God alive in us, to also have great joy. But it's no guarantee. We have to do something. Hence the word consider. It's a command. It's an imperative. Exclamation point. Do this. The only way you're going to have great joy as you go through trials is if you have this perspective on trials that comes from God. So the reality of trials, the response to trials, and then lastly, the reason that leads to joy in trials. The reason. That's verses 3 and 4. When, because you know... And if you don't know, he, James is saying, now you will know because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. The reason we can have great joy in trials is because we see our trials from the perspective of our Father in heaven. And we see that more is at work in the trials than just the evil and suffering in the world, that God is at work in the trials, testing our faith in a way that will produce endurance that eventually leads to maturity and completeness, even if the trials happened before you were a follower of Jesus, or you were so young that you maybe don't even remember them. It's traumatic events from your childhood. When they do come to mind, when you begin to dig into those things and deal with them, as you are a believer today and you're looking back to things that happened to you before you were a believer this is when God is doing the sanctifying work as you're able to go back into those situations and say, God was there. I wasn't alone. He was with me. And he's helping me re-see those things now through a different lens, his lens, not just the evil, the suffering, and the pain. And, and for some, depending on what you experienced, depending on the amount of trauma you experience. This is not, I just hear a sermon and I'm good. This can take years, years of work, years of digging into this, years of professional counselors walking with you through this because the hurt is so deep. The wounds are so deep. But this is where God wants to bring us. This is what he can accomplish in us. This is Romans 8, 28 through 30. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. All those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So God is at work in all things, good and bad, for our good. Uh, it doesn't mean all things are good, but he is at work in all things for our good. If you're those who love God and are called according to his purpose. What is he at work to do? Verse 29, conform us to the image of his son. This is this big picture work of sanctification 
that he's taking all things we experience in life and using it to make us like Jesus, to see the life of Jesus experienced in us and through us. Verse 30, we know this is going to happen. We know it's going to be completed because we are caught up in this golden chain of his sovereignty. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. If you're in that chain, it's going to be completed. He who began a good work in you will complete it. He is at work for our good, which is ultimately Jesus in us, and it will be completed. So back to James, in our trials, our faith is being tested. This isn't a test in a way to determine if our faith is real or not. James has already referred to them as brothers and sisters. You're in the family. This is not a pass-fail, are you a Christian kind of test. This is a testing of faith that already exists. God is at work in all of these things for our good. For who? Everyone? No. Romans 8.28. It's only for those who are his. Brothers and sisters, those who love him are called according to his purpose. So Christian going through a trial, feeling this fight for joy, seeing great joy show up, congratulations, it's just more affirmation that you are his. He only tests the faith that is real, and the purpose of the test is to make the faith stronger, to increase the strength of the test, like steel being forged in the fire over and over to make the steel stronger. Our faith is being refined and purified and made stronger and stronger and stronger. To give it, he says, more endurance or perseverance, which in the language of the New Testament is it's carrying a heavy load for a long time. The longer you walk with Jesus, the more you will have to endure and persevere. Which also means the more you can cast your cares on him, the more you can give him your load because he's gentle and lowly, and when we're weary and heavy laden, we learn to give him the load. So it's this weird dynamic. You walk with Jesus, you're going through trials, you're enduring and maturing, you're carrying more. There's more load you're having to carry, but you're learning more and more to give it to Jesus, and so you're carrying more, but the weight is lighter. If I would have taken the 2022 load that I carry today and put it on the shoulders of the 20 years ago, Jared, 2002. He'd have been crushed by that. He'd been like, I'm out. I'm not signing up for that. No thanks. But Jesus is at work to bring you to this place so that you go through trials, you endure more, you persevere more, you carry more, and you allow him to help you carry it more and more and more. This is a part of what trials do. It gives us more strength to endure and persevere. And as this endurance grows, it has its full effect. We reach this place of maturity, completeness, lacking nothing. Now, this seems to be applying a state of perfection, lacking nothing, maturity, completeness. The question is when? Do we experience that now, or is this something still to come? James is a writer, as we'll see, who's deeply rooted in the eschaton, the last things. And so this is a picture of our final and full state of glorification. When Christ has returned and all is complete, this is where we're headed. But as we're headed there, 
we can and are experiencing more testing, which leads to more endurance, which leads to more maturity. More of the quality and character of Jesus is showing up in us as we're seeing trials from this perspective and experiencing his joy. More and more great joy is experienced as we go through more trials. Even if we don't arrive until we're in this state of glorification, until Christ returns, or until we die and go be in his presence, it doesn't mean there's not benefit to strive and journey toward this final maturation. It's kind of like being on a sports team. Like no sports team achieves perfection, except for 2019 LSU. Other than that, every team loses, every team makes mistakes. No team would ever say they played a perfect match, played a perfect game. They're always working and striving to get there. And in the striving and working, they are experiencing growth and maturity even if they never fully arrive, they're still further along. This is a picture of our sanctification. We will never arrive in this life. We're never going to be perfectly like Jesus now. That's waiting for us. But in the striving and in the enduring and in the persevering and in the maturing, we do grow. And we do experience more of his presence and more of the work in G- of Jesus in us. And James says this leads to great joy. Great joy in the midst of trials. When we consider our trials from the perspective of our Father, and we see beyond the hardness and sadness, and we see in the hardness and sadness, He is at work to accomplish in us what only He can accomplish in the trial. This instruction from James is so essential to who we are as God's people. It really is Christianity 101. It's so important we get this and we see this happening in us. There's such a tendency when we go through the hard times that the hard times consume us and it's all we see. And it takes a different perspective. It takes maybe even someone else from the body of Christ to help us to see beyond the struggle and the hurt because sometimes that's all we see. To be able to see God is at work. And so that's, that's the why question. Why does our good father ordain these trials? And the, the simple answer is there are aspects of our maturity and completeness that we can only see accomplished in the trial. That's it. It's like a muscle that can only get stronger as you provide resistance. So also spiritually, we will only fully experience all God has for us if we go through trials. Now, side note, understand the testing of our faith is endurance and maturity. It's not only when bad things happen to us. Sometimes God will work through seemingly good things, success, financial reward, blessing. Those are also tests that God intends to grow and mature our faith. We focus mainly on the hard because it, it's hard. But the reality is success can sometimes reveal more about us and more that needs changing than just the hard times. Like, why do lottery winners make a train wreck out of their lives? We all think, if I won the lottery, it'd solve all my problems. Not really. Our souls aren't made to handle fame and power and wealth like that, which God knows, which it's an act of His grace that we aren't winning the lottery and ruined by that. So think of it like that. If you buy tickets and you don't win, thank you, God. You know what I need. But if you do win, call me up. 
There are aspects of our maturity that can only be accomplished through God wounding us. There are aspects of our maturity that can only come about when we're wounded. We don't like that because it hurts and it's hard. And I, I think that's where lament comes in because we know that death and suffering and sorrow are intruders in creation. They don't belong. They weren't part of the original design. They won't be part of the eternal state. And so there is a real lament about their presence, a real grief because they are intruders. But our learning to trust our father and how he is at work in the hard is an essential aspect of being his child. We have a new children's story Bible we got at Easter that we've been reading through with the kids. And Jennifer read the story of Abraham and Sarah last night. And if you don't know the story, God had promised to Abraham he's going to be the father of a multitude of people, so much so that the entire earth would be filled with them and the entire earth would be blessed by the descendants of Abraham. So much so that God actually changed his name before he had this promised son from Abram to Abraham, father of many nations. We know ultimately these numerous descendants would lead to Jesus and the blessing of the whole earth would be fulfilled in Jesus as people from every tribe, language, and tongue would hear the good news of Jesus and be gathered around his throne one day. But when God gave Abraham this promise, he was already old, 75, and infertile. And it would be 25 more years before they had the son that God had promised. 25 years of infertility, 25 years of a uh, husband and wife being together, physically intimate, hoping against hope, as Romans 4 says, waiting and waiting and waiting. And this story in the children's Bible, it ends with this phrase, this couple sentences. It, he says, but truth be told, Abraham and Sarah weren't so sure the new name really fit, this father of many nations. Would they actually have a son when they were old enough to be dead? God knew they would. So he kept telling the old couple the same thing over and over. The one thing they needed to hear and the one thing we have a hard time hearing. Just trust me. Just trust me. As you're coming together month after month as a husband and wife, waiting for God to fulfill his promise, trust me. Hoping against hope, trust me. Keep believing I'm at work. It's going to happen 25 years. The entire message of the Bible, I didn't, it's not original with me, it could be summed up with these two words, trust me. I am God and there is no other. I am your Father. Because of Jesus and in Jesus, you are my always and forever dearly loved son and daughter. And I am at work in all things, always. Whatever you're in right now. Not a hair on your head goes untouched without me knowing. Not a tear is shed that I don't record and collect. Not a fear you face is not acknowledged by me. Not a sorrow you suffer is not covered by my son, the suffering servant. Who came and endured the worst trial of all to accomplish the greatest miracle that will one day lead to the end of all sorrow and suffering. And we will be fully and forever and finally mature, complete, lacking nothing. Tim Keller writes that humility, freedom, compassion, and faith can seemingly only be developed in the crucible of suffering. So you may say, well, what are these things that can only grow in me when I'm wounded and suffering? Well, Keller says humility, freedom, compassion, and faith 
can only grow in the soil of suffering. Humility, we have no idea how small we are, how weak we are, how much we need God until we suffer. We are great at being self-sufficient. We will organize our life and create a life where God is seemingly not needed. And it's super easy to do in the affluent West. We have all the money we need, all the food we need, place to live, car to drive, job to work, insurance when things don't go well. We are propped up. We are the rich man. And suffering exposes how frail we really are, that we are just a wisp of vapor, and we are just a fragile image bearer. And it keeps us humble. Freedom. Freedom grows in the soil of suffering. Suffering is God taking away something you think you have to have. We say we don't really need certain things, but you don't really know until God takes it away. A relationship, a dream, a job, a stream of income, your health. Oh, I don't have to have that. And then God takes it away and you realize, am I okay? I've lost this. Am I still going to be okay? And what it really does is it sets us up, sets us free from any potential bondage to any potential idol. So that we, like Job, can lose everything but our wife and our life. And even if we do lose our wife, we have Jesus and he is enough. That's freedom. We'll hold on loosely while we hold on tightly to Jesus. Hold on loosely to everything else. Compassion, that's the easiest one to understand. Compassion grows in the soil of suffering because in the ways you suffer, you will then from now on have compassion on people who suffer in similar ways to the day you die. And then lastly, faith. Are you really trusting God for the sake of having God? Are you only trusting him because of what he's given you, what he can give you, what you want him to give you? Do you love and trust God for the sake of just him or do you love and trust him for his blessings? Suffering will strip away all of that and expose why you treasure God. It is a battle, which is why the very next verse, verse 5, We'll look at next week. If anyone lacks wisdom, if you don't have this perspective on suffering, you need to ask God and he'll give it to you. So if you're struggling this morning, like I just can't get there. There's no joy in the ways that I am suffering or have suffered. I, don't wait till next Sunday. Go right to verse five. Ask God, give me wisdom to see what you see, to know what you know, to understand what you understand. We need help. We need God to give us this wisdom to see suffering and trials from his perspective. We need each other to have the ability to share with the body of Christ on our battle to see this perspective in our trials. Sitting around with other Acts 29 pastors this past week, guys who in, in, in my same position in churches just similar to our church as far as age and size all over the southeast. And to share what it's been like, church planting for eight years, the last two years, COVID pandemic, to share the joys, the struggles, the sorrows, the continued struggles, incredible, incredible bomb. We, we all need that. It, it, not necessarily, you're not all pastors or church planners, but wherever you're at in life, you need the body of Christ to surround you. Let's talk about as husbands, as fathers, as moms, as, as, as wives, as students, as employees in our city, as residents of our parish. These are the ways that life has been hard. So help. Speak the gospel to me so that I can get to joy.
because I'm, I'm struggling to see it. All I see is hurt. All I see is pain. But that's not what God has for us. He has more. He is with you. He is at work in the trial. Jesus, help us to see it this morning. Help us to see that no one suffered more than you. No one was more innocent and no one suffered at the hands of evil more violently, more awfully than you did on the cross in your sacrifice for, for us. You get it. This is why you are the great sympathizing high priest. You've walked in our shoes. You know what it feels like to be human. You resisted every single form of temptation and sin. So Jesus, help my brothers and sisters who are gathered here this morning. Help us to see you are with us. You are with us in the trial. You are with us working for our good. Even when it hurts in unimaginable ways, you are with us. And you're not going to stop working to accomplish in us what you want to accomplish. And nothing will stop you. Even our failure to see this, our failure to have joy, our failure to trust you is not going to stop you from continuing to work in us. And you will finish it. We will be complete one day. So e even if it's just for the next few moments, Jesus, bolster the faith of my brothers and sisters this morning while we are here. Just for the next few moments, if that's all it can be, fill us with sight to see what you are doing. And let us experience joy. And I pray it would continue beyond this room. But even if it doesn't, let it happen right now. It's just a sweet gift of your grace to your people. But also build us up in such a way that we would love each other, serve each other, be in each other's life to help each other, remind each other, encourage each other to see these things, to see these things so we can live with joy. God, our city is suffering, our parish is suffering, our culture is suffering. We need more people who will suffer well. So make us that people. And if anyone's here who's never trusted in Jesus, so they, they can't have this perspective because Jesus is not theirs. God, let today be the day of their salvation. Let them turn from their sins and trust in Jesus to be their king and their savior. We pray in Jesus' name.